How does a weary world rejoice? The first step begins by naming our weariness. Whether it's caused by the wars and rumors of wars going on around the world, the violence we see in our own culture, or something in your home, something in your spirit or your soul, we rejoice in our weariness when we can first name what it is. When we're able to do that, we discover something amazing. Joy will stand with sadness. Joy will walk with sorrow. Joy will dance with grief. Those ideas aren't mine. They come from a pastor I read this week. Her name is Liesl Gwyn Garrity. She says that joy and grief are dance partners. It sounds paradoxical, but I suggest that most of us, if not many of us, or even all of us, have experienced at some point in our lives that paradoxical dance between joy and grief. I've seen it most often, in my ministry especially, in memorial services, where family and friends gather to celebrate the life of a loved one. There's sadness, there's sorrow, there's grief. Those emotions are named, but oftentimes in the telling of the stories of the, family, of the loved one, there's laughter and joy in the retelling and the memory of what had occurred with them. Many of you know my, my little brother, David, died two years ago this month. By the way, he never liked me referring to him as my little brother. I, I used to explain to him, you know, that I'm the oldest, um, oldest in the family. You're the youngest of four. I'm eight years older than you. Even though you're a six foot seven inch athlete who's just got an incredible physical ability, you will always be my little brother to me. He said, Glenner, that, that was his nickname for me, was Glenner, wh where do you get this from? I said, from the Bible. He said, where in the Bible does it say that? Hesitations 12.6. <laughs> Just look that up later. Sarah, you've read, you've studied. She knows the whole book. She's got it memorized. I deeply love my brother, miss him greatly even to this, to this day. He, he struggled terribly the last six months of his life. In the memorial service, we acknowledge that struggle and also some demons that he'd wrestled with for years. It was a beautiful ceremony, one of which we cried and, and laughed. My mother, whose heart is broken to this day at the loss of her youngest child, told a beautiful story about the time he was over at her condo in Orange County. They both live in Southern California. He was doing some painting for her, and he'd been there a couple of hours when my mom, who was in her little office doing some work, said, uh, Dave, let's take a break. Well, would you fix us a snack? My brother was like, okay. So he went in the kitchen and made some noises like he was preparing something. And then he came over to my mom's office with a dinner plate on which he'd placed a whole grapefruit. Not sliced, not take, you know, nothing added to it, just a whole grapefruit and one red stick licorice. Yeah, you're not laughing much because you don't know my mom and my brother, but the whole room there just burst into laughter because that's the sort of thing my, my brother would do to my mom to say, Mom, I'm over here helping you, then you make me stop and feed you too? What's, what's going on here? The laughter in that moment was sacred and holy. And in that, in that service, grief danced with joy. But we have a tendency, don't we, in our culture? to kind of keep joy at bay, to not let it get too deep into our hearts, our souls, or our minds, to kind of push it away, keep it over there. I mean, what are some of the things that we say? If it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. 
Don't count your chickens until the cows come home, or something like that anyway. <laughs> we do that in our culture, don't we? Don't get too excited, don't get upset, don't, don't just keep everything here because you might be disappointed, you might not feel good if you don't get what you were hoping for. Have you experienced that? I know you have. It happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was watching a football game between the University of California Golden Bears and the University of Southern California Trojans. I'm a Golden Bear fan. My dad went to the University of California. I've been a fan my whole life. USC was favored by 14 points over us to win that game. They were huge favorites. But in the fourth quarter, we were ahead by two touchdowns. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. And I got a text from a friend here in Columbus who said, you must be happy now. Do you know what I wrote back to him? Don't count your chickens till the cows come home. If it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. I don't, can't get too excited. It's too soon. Don't say anything yet. We might still lose this game. And you probably don't follow the West Coast as clearly as I do for football. But the Golden Bears lost by one point to that school from Los Angeles. And I blame my friend who jinxed him with that text. And by the way, I, I practiced my sermon yesterday on my wife, Julie, and she said, you're not going to say that out loud, are you? Say what out loud? About believing in jinxes? Well, sure I am. She said, but they're going to think you really do believe in jinxes. Well. <laughs> we understand the story, don't we? We do this to each other and to ourselves. Don't get too excited. Don't start counting the chickens. If it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. Keep things pushed away. The story we heard this morning is a classic tale of the same issue. It's from 2,000 years ago, but Zechariah and Elizabeth were wrestling with the same exact feelings. The story begins in Luke's gospel by describing Elizabeth and Zechariah as righteous, blameless, and keepers of the commandments. In between the lines, what Luke is saying to us, these are amazing people. They are a gracious, kind, caring, loving couple, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. Because you know as well as I do. Maybe you don't do this. I'm ashamed to admit that sometimes I have in my life, when something bad happens to someone, I kind of wonder what's really going on. What really might have happened? Luke wants to end that nonsense. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And we learn that Elizabeth and Zechariah have been unable for years, for decades at this point, to have a child. Luke's sweet phrase says, as they were getting on in years. And at this point now, they've resigned themselves. We're not going to have a child. It's just not going to happen. Our hopes, our dreams, our prayers are not coming true. A word, by the way, on infertility. This is one of the most difficult struggles any couple can face in their relationship. When a child is longed for, yearned for, and for whatever reasons, medical or otherwise, they're unable to have a child, it's very, very hard on the relationship. Even when, it, if, when it's successful, when the treatments and the medical work are successful in bringing in a child, the stress of getting to that point sometimes breaks up a marriage. The divorce rate, according to some of the research I did this week, is three times greater for couples struggling with infertility issues than the average normal divorce rate. Julie and I have good friends who many years ago were struggling with this very issue. 
They'd visited doctors, they were going through treatments, a host of things. And they shared with us some of the things their other friends had said to them. They said things like, you just need to relax. Don't be so uptight. Take three days off and go to the mountains or go to the beach. Drink two margaritas, not just one. Someone had the temerity to say to them, to ask them, have you prayed about this? Friends, if you know someone who's struggling with this issue, or if you ever encounter someone who is, there's no more than two things you need to say. Number one, I love you. Number two, I'm here for you. And then, be quiet. We never know enough. We never know enough about someone else's struggle to tell them what to do. We get back, back to the story. We find that, that Zechariah has... Uh, gone into the sanctuary. All the people are gathered outside for prayers, and, and Zechariah, as was the practice, is in the sanctuary alone, alone to light the candle, to light the incense, to allow the, the smoke to carry all the people's prayers up to, up to heaven's very gates. And while he's there, he encounters the angel Gabriel. Do not be afraid, the, the, the angel announces, for your prayers have been heard. Now, pause there for a moment in the story. We would expect that Gabriel, or that Zechariah would say, really? Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And then he would just make sure that the incense was burning, sprint out the sanctuary, weave his way through the crowd, run home to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I've just had a vision with an angel. We're going to have a baby. It's an unbelievable story, but it's true. What does he do, though? What, what does he do instead? He questions the angel. How can this be true? What kind of a message is this? We're too old to have a baby. Who are you anyway? And sometimes when we read the Bible, we tend to hear it through sort of a, a sanctimonious uh, understanding. Oh, the angel, then the angel spoke. And we hear it that way. As I look at this text, Gabriel is kind of irritated. He's basically looking at, at Zechariah and saying, are you talking to me? He's, he's basically Robert De Niro in my mind. Are you talking to me? Who do you think you are? I was just standing with God. God sent me to you. There are billions of people in the history of humankind and very few of them get a visit from me. Are you talking to me? Who do you think you're talking to? You see what Zechariah is doing? He's already resigned himself to the negative tale in his mind. He's already accepted that it's never going to happen. He's already bought into it. And he can't, even with this unbelievable news, it's too disruptive. It feels like bad news. He's, he's accepted that this is the way he's going to have his life. This is the way his lot in life. He can do nothing about it. That's what it is, period. He can't see it. He refuses to let the joy even slide in in the side door of his heart and soul. It's a sacred, mysterious, holy moment and one that is also very human because we know don't we once we resign ourselves to this is just the way things are going to be when the good news the great news the amazing news comes to us that it's not it's hard to accept it Brene Brown in her book Atlas of the Heart tells a story about a time she interviewed a man who like Elizabeth and Zechariah was getting on in years an older elderly man he said to her, I spent most of my adult life expecting the worst, just expecting that the worst would come as a way for me to, to be ready for it when it did. And then he said, 
my wife was killed in a car accident and I was not prepared for the grief. I was not prepared for the sorrow. I was not prepared for the tears that I could not stop. After pausing for a moment, he said, and I cannot begin to tell you the regret that I'm filled with. As I look back at our lives together, the many wonderful, amazing memories and stories that we had together as, as husband and wife that I know, I know as I look back, I was always on the lookout, waiting for the worst to come, waiting for the worst to happen. And I was never fully in those moments, those joy-filled moments. I was never fully there. And so I've made a promise to my wife in her death that I will be in the moment, named now. I will be present in this moment for the rest of my life to see the joys that are around me. You know, in, in a sense, we, I've, I've been giving Zechariah a little, a little bit of grief here, but I really want to soften that. I want to soften it quite a, quite a bit. For after all, how is it we know Zechariah's story? How is it we know? I mean, Luke wrote his gospel probably 70, 75 years after the birth of Jesus, after the birth of John the Baptist, which is who the child will be to Elizabeth and Zechariah. 75 years after, after John the Baptist and Jesus are born, Luke includes this story. How did he know? Zechariah must have been vulnerable enough to tell at least one person, to admit how he was keeping joy at bay, how we refuse to accept the good news. If it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. All those things he told someone, and somehow that story lingered for decades. And Luke included it in his gospel as a way of saying to his audience and his readers, and as a way of saying to us, to us, are you resigned? Are you giving in to that negative tale? that disappointing narrative about you and your life? If some good news happens to come to you, will you be able to receive it or will it feel disruptive? Will it almost feel like bad news because you're so resigned to living in that negative rut that it's hard to accept? You know, Brene Brown in that, in that book, Atlas of the Heart, quotes something she saw on Facebook. It, it was a quote saying, asking, do you remember the day you prayed for what you have now. I love that quote. Do you remember the day you prayed for what you have now? Ms. Brown is arguing that a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of gratitude is, is something that can allow us to let joy dance with grief find themselves holding hands, acknowledging both the, the sorrow of the grief and the gladness of the joy. I wonder if we're so resigned to that negative narrative that we can't quite let that joy come in. Luke's gospel helps us one more time, and I'll, I'll close with this. Theologians will tell you that if something in a text of Scripture appears three times, we should pay attention. What were the first words of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah? Do not be afraid. The same angel Gabriel meets with Mary to share with her the amazing news, the unbelievable news that she too is carrying a holy child. And in the midst of that announcement, what does the angel Gabriel say to Mary? 
Do not be afraid. On the night of Jesus' birth as the shepherds are gathered in the fields tending their flocks, an angel, an unnamed angel, appears before them. And what does she say to those shepherds? Her first words are, do not be afraid. Sometimes when we're so entrenched in that negative rut, we, we buy into that, nar- that negative narrative in our minds, it's fearful. It feels fearful to receive good news, to hear something good about us. And so I'm wondering today, I'm wondering if you and I can find a space, someplace in your home, a drive in your car, a walk in the neighborhood, somewhere here on our campus, if we can find a space and quietly name the weariness that you're experiencing. I wonder if we have the courage and the bravery to do that. Because maybe, maybe, just maybe, the angel Gabriel might appear to you tonight to say, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for unto you this day is given by the very hand of God the amazing gifts, the unbelievable gifts, the disruptive gifts of hope grace of love I wonder if we're ready for that visit Amen